Welcome to our study on the book of Romans. Before we get any further, are you waiting for something right now? Would you jot that down right at the top of your notes? What is it? Who is it? I'll give you a few seconds. Okay, some of you might have written down Jesus, the church answer, and that is the right answer. All of us are waiting on Jesus to return. There are other things, other people perhaps, that you're also waiting on. For me, I wrote down for one of my children, I'm waiting on a direction and a job for her. For another one of my kids, I'm waiting on adoption papers to come through. I'm waiting on some of my loved ones to come to love Jesus. I want to tell you now in uh, full confession, I am preaching to the choir today. I've been assigned a familiar topic to me, and I've shared some of this with some of you before. God is long-suffering with me, so lovingly patient, and sometimes I need to hear his truth again and again. So pray with me. Father, here we are, and we open our hearts and our minds to the gifts of your word and your spirit, and we're counting on your spirit to teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Our passage today begins in Romans 5, verses 6. Let's go through verse 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now our author asked us to look at verse 6 and answer, when did Christ die, come to die for us? And we wrote this down on page 64. We wrote the two answers from verse 6, when we were utterly helpless and at just the right time. But if we keep looking through that section of related verses beyond that verse 6, there are actually two more. A hint, look for the words, while. While we were still sinners and while we were still his enemies. So let's take these four one at a time. First, when we were utterly helpless. Let me just say that the editor in me wants to delete utterly as unnecessary because, well, it is unnecessary. Helpless, unable to manage independently, made powerless or weak, without help. Vine's Bible says it's without strength, weak. You see, one is not a little helpless by definition. Now, utterly, while not necessary, certainly does drive the point home pretty clearly for us. Utterly is actually only used in the NLT, in the New Living Translation, not in the other translations. The other translations use still or yet, giving that same feel or idea of still sinners, still his enemies. But for emphasis here, we're going to keep the desperate word picture of utterly helpless. 
Another question for you. Can you think of a time you were utterly helpless? Was there a time you were utterly helpless? I'm going to answer that one for all of us and say, yes, there was a time you were utterly helpless, regardless of your recollection. There was a time we were all utterly helpless. When you and I were newborn babies, we were the very poster child, pun completely intended, for utterly helpless. What can a newborn do for itself? Put another way, how long will a newborn baby left unattended survive? Now, I looked at several different sources and learned some things. This is from one pediatrician. He says, newborns have a good amount of uh, fluid stored, and they have extra glucose stored in their liver. So if the mother has a difficult birth and is unable, for whatever reason, to feed the baby for a while, the baby would be okay. They have enough to survive for 24 to 48 hours without much in the way of feeding. Then another pediatrician and labor MP says, if the baby is born without any complications and if the baby is kept warm, they could survive without fluid for four days. They don't need much fluid until their fourth day of life, and surprisingly, that's when the mother's milk comes in. Look at God go. Another neonatologist says newborn babies are waterlogged, and they have 15% fat in their bodies allowing them to survive without food for days. He emphasizes the greatest problem for babies is cold. Well, three opinions. The longest I found is four days, assuming full term and no other complications and a cooperating external temperature. That's not too long. And physical sustenance is only one of the needs a baby has. Think about it. If a newborn wants something, it cannot get it by itself. If a newborn baby wants to go somewhere, it cannot go by itself. The caregiver does everything, everything for the sleeping, eating, pooping, little wonder. Picture a newborn utterly helpless. Now picture a newborn in danger. What words come to mind? Tragic, catastrophic, desperate, hopeless, that is my condition without Jesus. Tragic, catastrophic, desperate, hopeless, utterly helpless. Well, what do I learn about God? God is full of compassion, mercy, unfailing love, and faithfulness. He is actually living up to his description of himself as he tells us in Exodus 34, 5, and 6. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Do you see God's loving kindness in while we were still sinners, while we were utterly helpless? In Psalms, if you'd like to turn there, you, you're welcome to do that. Begin in Psalm 25. You can also just hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. 
over to verse 10. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Move over to chapter 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Psalm 63, 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Psalm 69, verse 16. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Do you hear in all of those passages the emphasis on God's character, on who God is? Second, at just the right time. Let's look again at what do I learn about God. Consider God and time for a moment. First, God exists independently of time. 2 Peter 3.8 says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Second, God created time. Let's go all the way back to Genesis 1. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. In Psalm 74, verses 16 and 17, Both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth, and you made both summer and winter. Third, God works in perfect time. One example here is Jesus' dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is very sick, and Mary and Martha, his sisters, send word to Jesus. And Jesus purposefully delays. He waits to go to Lazarus. His disciples are perplexed by his delay, and Jesus actually tells them why he's waiting. Listen for the three reasons as I read from John 11. Two of the reasons are in verse 4, and one reason is in verse 15. John 11:4. But when Jesus heard about it, Lazarus being sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. Skipping down to verse 14 and 15. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. John eleven seventeen talks about Jesus arriving and, and sure enough, it's just as he said, Lazarus is dead. As a matter of fact, he's been dead for four days. In verses 21, 22, and 32, the two sisters say the exact same phrase to Jesus. They tell him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's pick it up in verse 40 of John 11. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they will believe you sent me. Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. And of course, Lazarus comes out because Jesus is God. 
Other scriptures clearly address God's working in perfect time. I didn't put these for you to read below. I want you to listen for these timing phrases in God's word. I'll give you all the references. Psalm 75, 2. God says, at the time I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. Isaiah 49, 8. This is what the Lord says, at just the right time, I will respond to you. Isaiah 60, 22, I, the Lord, will bring it all to pass at the right time. Galatians 4, 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, this is the message that God gave to the world at the proper time. 1 Peter 5, 6, God in his good time will honor you. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow. He is giving more time for everyone to repent. Is there more so what now what regarding me and time based on what I have learned about God, who God is, God and time? So what now what me and time? First, I always have the right time and enough time to experience what God has for me and to do what God wants me to do. Ecclesiastes 3, a very uh, familiar passage, a song was written about it, turn, turn, turn. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Then it gets specific, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, to kill, to heal, to tear down, build up, cry, laugh, grieve, dance, scatter stones, gather stones, embrace, turn away, search, quit searching, keep, throw away, tear, mend, be quiet and to speak, to love, to hate, for war, for peace. Then in verse 11, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. In Ecclesiastes 8, 5, and 6, those who obey him, God, will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Second, I will wait on the Lord. I would say I should wait on the Lord, but the truth is I will wait on the Lord because nothing I do will slow God down and nothing I do will speed God up because God is God. Look back to what we just learned about God and time and the human examples he's given us in scripture. We have Joseph who did wait on God through the well as a slave and in prison. And in Psalm 105, verse 19, we read, Until the time came to fulfill his word, the Lord tested Joseph's character. There are certainly examples of those who thought they were not waiting on God from Scripture, and we can learn from them too. Consider Abram and Sarai and Hagar and Ishmael. You can read about that in Genesis 12, 15, 16, and 17. The consequences, well, Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah, just like God said. And as for Ishmael, he fathered 12 sons who became leaders of warrior tribes against Israel. Saul and Samuel. Saul doesn't wait for Samuel to arrive, and he sacrifices the burnt offering himself. The consequences of that, Saul's dynasty came to an end because of that. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14. The children of Israel would not wait for God's counsel in the wilderness. You can read about those consequences in Psalm 106. I would much rather learn from all these people before me and be more like Joseph's waiting life example. 
So the question is not, will I wait on the Lord? The better questions are, how am I to wait? And what do I do while I'm waiting? So how am I to wait? Psalm 62, verses 1 and 5. I wait quietly before God, for my salvation comes from Him. I wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. Quietly. Lamentations 3.26, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Micah 7.7, as for me, I look to the Lord for His help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Confidently. Isaiah 8.17 says, I will wait for the Lord to help us, though he has turned away from the people of Israel. My only hope is in him. Psalm 27.14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Patiently. Psalm 37.7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Listen to Habakkuk 2.3, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Proverbs 16, 32, it is better to be patient than powerful. Hebrews 10, 36, patient endurance is what you need now, so you will continue to do God's will. I am to quietly, confidently, and patiently wait on the Lord. And bonus, look at the benefits, the blessing, the incentive, the motivation. Lamentation 3.25, the Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, we're told, blessed are those who wait for him to help them. In Isaiah 40.31, but those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Well, what do I do while I'm waiting? While I am waiting, W-A-I-T. I have shared this before with some of you, and God gave this to me years ago, and I'm still using it today on those things and people I listed for you at the beginning that I am currently waiting. The W, stay fresh in his word. Stay fresh in his word. Psalm 130, verse 5. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. Romans 15, 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. The A stands for act in obedience. Please make sure you write the words in obedience. Don't just act. We've already seen that that doesn't work. Psalm 37, 34, don't be impatient for the Lord to act. Travel steadily along his path. He will honor you, giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. Do the next right thing that God has shown you to do. James 1 says, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Skip down to verse 25. It says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. In Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus gives the example of two men building a house. And the same things happen to both men. There is rain. There are floodwaters. There are winds. They're both building. They both listen to Jesus' teaching. 
The only difference is one follows, one obeys the teaching, and that, of course, is the wise man. Charles Stanley says, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. The I stands for be intimate with God. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Listen to him. That's prayer, right? Talking and listening. That's prayer. Be still with him. Intimate means marked by close acquaintance, association, or familiarity. A close friend or confidant. Listen to Psalm 5-2. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For I will never pray to anyone but you. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. The T, trust him, who he is. You know, trust is actually implied in the W, the A, and the I. You're not going to do the W, A, and I if you don't trust him. And you will not trust him if you do not know him. So we must be purposeful in knowing him, which is our our main goal of studying scripture, right, is to know God. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Does that sound familiar? That's the psalmist quoting what God said of himself back in Exodus. Psalm 9, 9, and 10 says, The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Psalm 84, 11, and 12, For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Psalm 119.68, you are good and do only good. This is the God we trust. Go back to the beginning of your notes. Read it again. What did you write down? What are you waiting for? Or maybe who are you waiting for? As I'm waiting, even now, I'm asking myself the same questions I'm going to ask you. So what, now what? Am I quietly, confidently, and patiently waiting on God? If not, what can I do today to make the necessary adjustments? Am I reading, meditating, studying, and memorizing his word regularly? Am I being obedient to all he has revealed to me so far? Am I talking and listening to God throughout the day? Psalm 40 Verses 1 through 4, I'll read an excerpt for you. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. Back to Romans, when did Christ die? When I was utterly helpless at just the right time. And then the last two phrases from verse 8 and 10, while we were still sinners and while we were still his enemies. Now it's clear what I learned about man, about me and you. How are we described? Sinners against God. Enemies of God. No argument there. Let's go to what do I learn about God. First, God didn't wait for me to become lovable. Christ died not because of me, Christ died in spite of me, based on his character of love, not on my lovability. I don't even know if that's a word, but it makes the point. It's not on my ability at all, lovability or any other ability. Romans 5.8 is such a wonderful but God. 
Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The good news is Christ died for me because God is love. That's the second point. God loved me first. 1 John 4, 8 and 19, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. We love him because he first loved us. Consider if God will die for me while I'm his enemy, he certainly won't desert me while I'm his friend. Third, God will never leave me. Romans 5.10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And actually, we're more than friends. God has made us family through Jesus. We are children of God, joint heirs. Listen to John 1.12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Romans 8.17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. Galatians 3.26, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Skipping to verse 29 in Galatians 3, true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Galatians 4.6, we are his children. And he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. You see, I am a friend of God. I am actually God's child, joint heirs. God will never leave me. I am saved through the life of his son for life and ever to infinity and beyond. Do you grasp that? God will never leave you. God will never leave me. Hebrews 13, 5. God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How can this be? Well, he tells us in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus explains. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, and he doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So what now what? Rejoice. We now come to the third rejoicing in Romans 5. Last week we saw two. In verse 2 we saw rejoice in hope. In verse 3 we saw rejoice in suffering. And this week in verse 11 we see rejoice in God. Romans 5:11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Why rejoice in God specifically? Reconciliation. Our author on page 65 talks about Catalasso, what it means, and she goes on to say, reconciliation is a major theme of the entire letter to the Romans. Reconciliation, making friends of enemies. The tense that Paul uses for reconciliation here is passive. That means our reconciliation is accomplished by an outside force. The NLT says it this way, Romans 5:11. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Ah, the outside force, did you see it? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has made us friends of God. After nine verses of comparison and contrast of Adam and Christ, Romans 5 concludes with verse 21. 
So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. God, we do rejoice in you. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself because of your great love, your grace, your mercy through the gift of your son in his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. It is in his name that we pray this in every prayer. Amen. Thank you, ladies.